Good evening. Good to see everyone. We are still in 1 John, so take your Bibles in hand and turn towards the back of your Bible to the book of 1 John. Chapter 2. And last week we uh, looked at another of the many tests of genuine salvation found in this letter, specifically as it related to obedience in keeping the commandments of God. Uh, and John said that the, the person who claims to know God but who does not keep his commandments is not truly saved. Uh, he called them a liar. They, they lie about knowing God. Worse than just lying to the people around them, perhaps, about their supposed relationship with God, uh, they lie to themselves. They are self-deceived. And John said the truth is not in them in verse 4. And John emphasized that those who say they abide in him should walk in the same way in which he walked. He, of course, being Jesus. Um, and meaning the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. A life lived completely without sin and in perfect fellowship with the Father in other words, Jesus did completely keep all of the commandments of God without fail, uh, including the commandment being talked about in the text we have for tonight. Uh, it is a commandment that is both old and new, and one that Jesus said is one of the two greatest commandments. Again, John is pointing out that to not keep this commandment that we'll look at tonight is proof that a person no matter what they claim, has not yet come out of darkness. They're, they're not in fellowship. They're not saved. So let's look at our text for tonight. 1 John chapter 2, we'll be doing verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word that we've just read and heard. We pray, Father, that you would use the hearing of your word tonight publicly to impact our hearts, our lives, our thinking or that we may be directed to being more Christ-like, that we may be reminded, Lord, perhaps there's some that are, um, Lord, doubting or wavering on their assurance of salvation, or may you use your word tonight to encourage them. Um, and Lord, for those that may, may be walking in darkness, who are self-deceived, Lord, may you use your word tonight to impact their lives, to open their hearts, their minds, to receive the truth, uh, and to receive 
through repentance and faith, salvation, Lord, in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the fellowship of believers. We give you praise in all things, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Again, here we're, we're looking at the, the next test of genuine saving faith. And John begins this uh, section by reminding them that this is not a new commandment, but it's a new commandment, okay? It's old, but it's new, and it has to do with brotherly love. We can briefly skip down to verse 10 in our passage to inform us of the subject matter of the test. If we look down at verse 10, which says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever loves his brother, okay, that's, that's the focus. That is the commandment being referenced tonight uh, in the opening verses of our text. So, it's an old commandment. Look at verse 7 with me. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, he said this is an old commandment they had from the beginning. And when he says the beginning here, he's not talking about the beginning of time or the beginning of creation. Really, he's talking to and referencing the beginning of their life in Christ. Okay, from the time of their salvation, from the beginning, uh, the moment they heard the gospel and the teaching of the apostles that followed, they have been hearing the message of love for one another. Okay, it's, it's an old commandment. He said, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, this thing seems extra loud. But it is also an old commandment in the sense that um, it's, it's not even a new message that came with the, uh, it's not just a new message that came with the appearing of God in the person of Jesus Christ. It goes back before that. It goes back way before Jesus came uh, on earth, and Jesus himself point, pointed that out in Scripture. We can go back to not long after God took his people uh, out of bondage in Egypt and, and see this concept being commanded by God uh, for his people. God told Moses to give the people this command in Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that's what God told Moses to, to instruct the people, to command the people. So you see, John can say here in our passage, I'm writing you no new commandment. Okay? And, and it can also mean that it has been around for a long time. And not only did they have it from the beginning of their life in Christ, but it has been taught to God's people for generations. This command to, to love your neighbor, love your brother, it's been around for a long, long time. Um, and it's no small commandment either. Hey, Jesus put it in a category with only one other commandment uh, that was higher. When, when he was asked a question about what the greatest commandment was, well, let's look at a passage of Scripture in Mark, if you will. Mark chapter 12. Let's turn there. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. And here Jesus actually quotes from Leviticus, the Leviticus, Leviticus 19 passage. I can't say Leviticus tonight for some reason. That's a hard one. Um, Mark 12, 28 
through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important commandment is the uh, lost my spot. The most important commandment is, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay, so you can see there how Jesus himself lumps this command to love our neighbor, our brother, lumps it in with uh, the command to love God. Uh, He said there's no other commandment greater than these. To love the Lord your God above and beyond and, and more than anything else with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we begin to see why John is making clear that if you say you're a Christian, this is what you should look like. This is what should be a part of your daily living. Right? It's not an option. Not a, it's not a calling for some Christian and not a calling for other Christians. Okay, this is, it's a must. It's a must-have. And by God's grace, this is, thankfully, um, Holy Spirit-empowered. Because it's not easy, is it, to, to love other people? So a question for you, which is the first of the fruits of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Galatians? You know, we have a list in there of the fruits of the Spirit, and which is the first one? Love. Okay, I heard some faint voices saying it, so you got it right. Okay, get a gold star. Uh, so the, the fruit of, or what is produced by the Spirit of God indwelling believers uh, in, in the lives of regenerate people is love. That's the first thing in that list of, of things that are empowered by the Holy Spirit is love. And more specifically, love for other believers or the brethren and sistren, if that's a word. Okay. Um, are believers to love everyone, including their enemies? Yes, right. Of course we are. But we are commanded to have a special love for those in the faith, a special love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Galatians 6.10, Paul said, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So you see, there's a, there's a separation there. We are to be good, we are to love everyone, but especially those who are our brothers and sisters in the faith. So, it's old not because it's outdated, this commandment is not outdated or has been replaced by something better, like the old covenant priesthood and sacrificial system, for example. Um, those, those are old, and those have been replaced. It is of no use any longer because of Jesus. So regarding the uselessness of, just for an example, of the priesthood, the Scriptures tell us this, Hebrews 7, 18 uh, and 19, for On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. 
And Hebrews 8.13 says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay, Christ, our high priest, did away with the old priesthood. He's a new and better high priest. And look at how the old is done away with in regard to the sacrificial system. Hebrews 9.12, he, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood, okay, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then over in Hebrews 10, uh, 4 and 5 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. You see, Jesus was the final, once for all, sacrifice. God prepared his body to be that sacrifice, the propitiation. That is the body, that is the sacrifice that the Father desired was his son, the only one that would satisfy his wrath. So we see the old being done away with. We see the old being replaced. And what was actually old and not needed any longer is put away or done away with for what is new and better and actually accomplishes God's ultimate purposes. Perhaps the greatest example of replacing the old with the new is is our very own salvation. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, so we see replacement there. Unlike these examples, though, this old commandment that John is talking about is not only still valid, but Jesus makes it of supreme importance. And so, So does John. The commandment to love your brother is old, but it's also new. Let's talk about why it's new. John says here in our our text in verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What makes this Old commandment also new? Well, the language John is using here probably sounds familiar because he's not the first one to use it. He's the one who previously wrote about it in his gospel account, but he did not say it. He wrote what Jesus said. So for him to write this now, several decades later, is an indicator that the teaching on the subject that he got from Jesus has been continuing continued to be taught by the apostles, and he's still teaching it. Jesus made this a new commandment, and John documented Jesus' words twice, showing us exactly why it's also a new commandment. John 13, verse 34, says, A new commandment I give to you. Okay, this this is Jesus talking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Okay, then John documents Jesus' words on the subject again two chapters later in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so twice Jesus has, has used this, this language. Now earlier we looked at a passage in Mark where Jesus quoted uh, the Leviticus passage about loving your neighbor as yourself. 
Okay? But there is something different here in these accounts that John wrote about what Jesus said. Uh, there's a qualifier that Jesus puts in here that makes this new. What do, you, what do you, or what do we see in these two passages that I just looked at that indicate this old commandment is made new in some way? What do, what do you see in those two verses? There's a qualifier there. Well, he commands in both places, but there in these readings that John wrote in his gospel, there was something different. It wasn't just love your, love your brother. Right, okay? He, he puts this qualifier in here. The answer is, just as I have loved you. Okay, both passages, he says that. In, in the first one, he says, just as I have loved you, and the other one, he says, as I have loved you. So in verse 8, where we see John saying, uh, where he says, which is true in him and in you, in our first John text, okay, verse 8, he says, which is true in him and in you. He's referencing this qualifier, okay? It's true in Jesus because he has loved us in this way. And it's true in us, believers, because we love as he loved us, following his example. Now, how did Jesus love then? That seems like that's a good question. How did he love? Yes, you have a question. Yes and no. <laughs> the question was, is there a difference between loving your brother and loving your neighbor? Uh, there's sometimes where it's a reference to everybody, but sometimes in the scriptures, which what we're seeing here in our, in our first John passage, it's a reference to believers. When it's talking about our brother, it's talking about believers. So certainly it's true that we should love our neighbor, meaning everyone. Everyone's our neighbor. But again, there's that special relationship between believers. And so often when you see in the New Testament, uh, the writer is saying brothers, or talking about loving your brothers or a way that you treat your brothers, it's specifically talking about other Christians. There's that special bond there of being in Christ. So it's, yes, both and. But here in 1 John, we're looking at, mainly we're talking about believers, the love of other Christians. So, then that brings the, up the question, how did Jesus love? If, if uh, we're to love as he loved us, how did he love? So, the word John used there um, in those passages is agapeo, okay, which is the same word Jesus used in the two passages we just read from in the Gospel of John. Okay, this is an unconditional, sacrificial love. It is a love of the will, one chooses to love another in this way. Jesus said, just as I have loved agapeo you. This is the love of John 3.16. Okay? For God so loved the world. Remember, it's a sacrificial love. It's a love of the will. Someone chooses to love in this way. It's not a feeling. Okay? It's not an emotion. Often when we think of love, we, we think of how we feel towards someone or how someone makes us feel, but it's not those things. It's not based on what, what one gets in return either, okay? It's a, it's a self-sacrificial love. God gave His one and only Son by this love, okay? Not because we were so lovable. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know a lot of times people apply this chapter to marriage, which it's true, it certainly applies to marriage, but this applies to all believers for all areas of our lives. Okay, so I want to look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians 13, look in verses 4 through 7, um, because this is what John means here in our passage, where he's talking about loving your brother. This is what he's talking about. So think about it as we read it. 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, that's the kind of love for the brethren that John is talking about. Okay, uh, that's, it's not a feeling. Again, it's not an emotion. We don't do it because a person deserves it. We do it because Jesus did it for us on the cross, and He commands us to do it. So, why do we fight against even the concept of loving other people like this? Why do you think we fight against this? Okay, doesn't seem fair, right? What else? We're human? Okay, yeah, we're sinful. Simple answer. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? Why did we fight against this? I don't mean fist fight, but in our minds, we just, I don't want to love like this. Why is it so hard? Well, what's that? Some people don't deserve it, right? In our minds, some people don't deserve it. All these answers are good, you know, because we don't, we really struggle with this because we always want something. We, we want something or we always require something of a person in order to love them like this, right? If they, if they do X, Y, or Z, or if we like what they're doing here, okay, I'll love that person. Or I'm not going to love them until they do all these things first. Um, it's really hard because we're like, the plain answer is we're sinful. We're selfish. We want our way. Um, it's easy for us to think that way about other people. They don't deserve this kind of love, and I can make those judgments in my mind, but we, it's really hard. We don't look at ourselves like that, do we? But other people do because we're just as unlovable as everybody else is. So, yeah, we, we fight against this in our minds, and sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. In the last part of verse 8, John finishes his point from the first part that is uh, that this is a new commandment. It is new, he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Darkness and light here are representative of the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Those in the darkness are still in the kingdom of Satan. Those who are in the light are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, or they are in Christ, we see in the Scriptures. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and rose and ascended. He's been here, i.e., the true light is already shining. He's come. He did his work. And the darkness is passing away, though it's hard for us to see that sometimes. 
because we're still here living in, in this world. Later in this chapter, John will elaborate on what is passing away. In verse uh, 17, he says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The true light is Jesus shining, and, and those who are in Him are also shining as a result of being in His light. We should function as a lighthouse that shines um, by just by doing so. It, it shines because that's its job. It keeps ships from crashing into the rocks and being totally destroyed. Uh, in the in the 1800s, the American evangelist uh, D.L. Moody said this, it is a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. We are told to let our light shine, and if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. The light will be its own witness. Lighthouses don't ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. So, verse 9 John says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Okay, that person who walks continuously in a pattern of hating and not loving his brother is still an unbeliever, has an unregenerate heart. Like we've discussed in the past, this is not about perfection. Okay, there are going to be times where there are, are offenses from one brother to another, one sister to another. But as we saw, we have an advocate, Christ Jesus, the righteous, right? The Scriptures point us to repentance of these wrongs in life, to forgiveness of the wrongs, to restoration of relationships, and that is the pattern of life of the one who's in the light. We desire that reconciliation because Christ has reconciled us to Himself. Because of the precious blood of Christ, the Apostle Peter said, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And 1 Peter 1.22. This love that has been described is the proof that a person abides in Christ. This kind of self-sacrificial love. Um, this person is in Christ. This person will continue in Christ. John goes on to say, say so and to point out another benefit of being obedient to this commandment in the next verse, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Okay, and in this person, there's no cause for stumbling. What does that mean? The word John uses there is uh, skandalon, okay, and it refers to a, like the, the tripping mechanism of a trap. Okay, you, you've seen those in movies or on TV, someone's out to set a trap for a bird or a small animal of some sort, and they set up a box or a basket or maybe a bent stick or something, and there's a, a tripping mechanism in there, right? They prop it up, and the thing comes in, the animal comes in and steps on it or bumps it or whatever, and they get caught in this trap. Okay, that's, that's what this word is. And it's also used of what is a stumbling block in a person's way, okay? And sometimes it's translated as an offense, the same word. Sometimes it's translated as an offense, such as how Paul describes what Jesus becomes to the Jews 
when, he, when, when Paul quotes in, uh, in Romans 9, 33, he quotes from the Old Testament saying, as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, scandalon, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's what Jesus became, right? To those who wouldn't believe, it's an offense to them. So what John is getting at here is that the person, the true Christian, is loving his brother as Christ loved him sacrificially. This not only proves he's a Christian, but he's no stumbling block to himself, meaning he's not self-deceived, right? He's not a liar saying he's in the faith, but he's not. He's also no stumbling block to others, such as a person claiming to be in the light while actually walking in darkness, as we looked at before, and bringing disgrace on the name of Christ and, and His church. I believe the passage here lends itself mostly to referring to the individual not stumbling. Okay? So as, but I don't think that it excludes the fact that it can refer also to causing another to stumble. When we look at that last verse here, we see that it appears the emphasis is on the individual who's either stumbling or not stumbling. Look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this person who hates his brother is, in fact, in the darkness still. And John says he doesn't know where he's going because he, he can only grope around in the darkness. He's a blind man. His eyes are blinded. The darkness has caused spiritual blindness. Okay, that's what's being referred to here is spiritual blindness. They cannot see or know the truth. They're self-deceived. Satan has deceived them. They are, again, um, they need to be brought into the light, and only God can do that through His Holy Spirit. Whatever they say they are doesn't matter because the, the rotten fruit that they're producing is hatred for their brothers or who they profess to be their brothers, and they definitely have stumbled. Okay, they've, they've been trapped by evil and sin and darkness. They're exposed by their daily ongoing pattern okay, of unrepentant hatred towards their brothers, towards the church. That's their pattern. Okay, it's it's unbroken pattern of this. The darkness, he says, has blinded his eyes. And Paul described the deception and the power of Satan to keep people blinded to the gospel in this way. 2 Corinthians 4 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, there is blindness. He only has the power to do whatever God has given him the power to do. And, and the good thing about this is that God, can, God is the one that can overcome this blindness. Okay, whatever Satan blinds people in, if it's God's will to open the eyes of that person, God does that. And he does it for all of his children. Everybody that he's come to save, he will open their eyes and they will not be blinded any longer. So the people may walk around in blindness a portion of their life and God opens their eyes and they come to the light. Some people may live almost their entire life and near the end, 
God opens their eyes. It's, that's his will. It's his prerogative how he does that. But, but God is the one that can overcome that. But he has given Satan that, uh, that ability to, to blind people. But we can't say that it's all Satan's fault. Right? We are sinful people. We do just fine on our own uh, being rebellious towards God. So we can't blame it all on Satan. But certainly we see that God, in other parts of Scripture, where, where God gives Satan permission to do things, such as um, how he went after Job. Okay, that, that was God's idea. That was God's plan. But he certainly gave Satan the ability to do so. Um, but true Christians are, are no longer blind. Though, though Christians may sin in the area of loving their brethren at times, Okay, we'll, we'll see failures in that area. Um, but overall, Christians walk in a new pattern. They walk in a different way of life. That's a pattern of walking in the light, relying on their advocate, Christ Jesus, in, in every single failure. And, and Christians are restored by forgiveness, by repentance, and by the forgiveness of their sins, by the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have an advocate. And I want to end with this, that, that we went to John's gospel in chapter 13, verse 34 earlier, but verse 35 completes Jesus' reasoning for his commandment. Okay, and this is important. Looking back at John 13, verses 34 and 35 this time, Jesus talking, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And verse 35 says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you have love for one another. Okay, John's test here as we examine ourselves can not only give assurance to the believer that we are indeed saved, but at the same time, God uses our obedience to this commandment to give assurance to the world that we are His. Okay, God, he's testifying about himself through the lives of believers, through the church. It, the church, in following God's commandments, they testify to the truth about God. All right, we prove this when we love our brothers in this way, in this self-sacrificial way. We prove to the world that we are his. It is something that is glaring. It's a glaring difference, the way Christians should love one another and other people, but in particular one another, it should be a, a glaring difference to the world than what they see or what they're used to because it shouldn't be based on performance or lovability, but because when we look at how Christ loved us while we were yet sinners, how could we ever continue to love people in a selfish way or to, to not love people because, and eh, they, they hurt my feelings. Um, yeah, this is meant, that's why Jesus said to love as, as he loved us. It's that, that same word there that's a, a love of the will. He chose to love us. And it's not because we were lovable. So, that's the, the next test that we look at tonight is, is this command to love our brothers, love our sisters in Christ. Okay, it's a special bond there, a special kind of love and and we just praise God for his grace and his mercy in saving the church and giving us the church. Because I need you, you need me, we all need each other 
and the gifts that God has given us. Um, so when we refuse to come together and gather, we don't benefit. We miss out on what God, this great gift God has given us uh, of one another. So that's his, the challenge we have tonight is to think about how do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Where am I failing in this area? How can I do better at loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for tonight and for this, this word about loving our brothers. And Lord, may, the next time we find ourselves refusing to love because of some, some reason that we're justifying, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our minds in remembrance of how you loved us. Lord, we did not deserve it at all. You, you loved us in the most sacrificial way we could ever imagine. We can't even fathom it, Lord, how, how you came down here and took on flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, and took on all of our sin on yourself. How dare us not love our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that you have loved us. So I pray we'd be convicted of that, Lord, in our lives. We would begin to be obedient even more so, that we would seek to restore relationships, that we would repent, ask forgiveness, Lord, and help us. If someone were to come to us in that way, help us to love them by forgiving and not holding grudges. I pray you'd strengthen this local body of people, Lord, that, uh, that we would love as you have loved us. We'll praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.